from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. It's always an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and to have the man here every single Thursday morning broadcast. We usually start off right at the top of the show at 9, but we had Mike Wheeler before he had to get on his flight with the team, so we wanted to make sure we got him on here, and we did. So thank you to Mike Wheeler once again. And then Papa Joe was nice enough to take a few moments here before he came on to the show. He's with us now to speak on many different subjects. Those subjects this morning include Syracuse defeating West Virginia, their rival in the Camping World Bowl. It also includes the 16 blowouts in bowl season. UCF, Doug Marone retained by the Jaguars, coaching vacancies in the NFL, and more coming up here with Papa Joe. So let's get him onto the show here. Papa Joe, how are we doing today? Good morning, Daniel. Everything's fine. Nice, beautiful weather down here in Florida. I think your your colleague there from the junior college is going to have a good run down here. Maybe he can get a tan. Yeah, hopefully. I know that Mike uh, Mike does have that the skin that is of the olive complexion, so he should be okay down here, or down in Florida, I should say. Down in Florida just a few days ago, I was down there for the Camping World Bowl when Syracuse took on West Virginia, their longtime rival. Syracuse won the game 34-18. They now have 34 wins in the all-time record against West Virginia, who has 28, and Syracuse has won the last four in a row. Thoughts on the Camping World Bowl, Papa Joe, and what Syracuse was able to do. Well, it was a marvelous effort. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the wins the wins got a little asterisk next to it because West Virginia's quarterback, Will Greer, is uh, declaring for the draft and decided not to play. But that, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't stop anyone from giving accolades to Syracuse and, and Coach Babers for the job that he's done this year. Uh, they they look strong both sides of the ball. Dungey woke up, started throwing the ball all over the place. Defense was tough, um, even though the the win was a little watered down because of the Greer situation. Syracuse has got to be proud, and uh, they had to, to achieve ten wins in in this season playing in the ACC. I think it's a great compliment to Coach Babers and his and his staff. And, uh, you know, before this game even ended, Papa Joe, I want to ask you something about, you know, it's, it, it has to do with West Virginia, but West Virginia is only an, an example for the grand scheme of things I'm trying to get at here. Uh, what we were told in the press box that if we wanted to speak with West Virginia, there was about five minutes, ten minutes left of the game. They said, if you want to speak with West Virginia, you better go downstairs now because they're looking to leave and they're looking to leave quickly. And they're supposed to wait for a ten-minute cooling-off period, the losing team, has a 10-minute cooling-off period. They go first in the press conference, and then the winning team goes after that, after they cool off and whatnot. What are your thoughts on on the uh, situation with with West Virginia that, you know, we were told in the press box, hey, you know, you better you better go downstairs now because they're, you know, basically they're warming up the buses trying to get out of here. We don't know how long we can keep them here. And even though they're supposed to be here to do interviews, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to. I mean, what what are your thoughts on, I use West Virginia as an example, but any team that loses a game trying to rush out of the stadium before talking? 
Well, that's, I, I didn't realize that that, that occurs uh, after a game. I, to me, it sounds like a little bit of poor sportsmanship. Um, you know, their coach should know enough to, to, to just hold fast and, and go through the, uh, the process of interviewing and everything. That, that, that doesn't sound right. Uh, I'm very disappointed to hear that. Uh, West Virginia certainly is a classier uh, organization than that. Uh, uh, they, they, they should be brought to task for that. Or, or any school, for that fact. Uh, like, for instance, uh, I don't know if Notre Dame stayed around after being whooped up by Clemson, but you know, Notre Dame's a classy outfit, so perhaps they did hang around. I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't want to talk to anyone after being beat like by Clemson like that. But you know, these schools have different ways of, of seeing things. But to me, it sounds like poor, poor horsemanship. And where we are uh, right now, not only you know are are they coming off of losing to a rival, but Dana Holgerson, the head coach of West Virginia, uh, all signs point to the fact that he is departing for the Houston Cougars. He is leaving a Big 12 program, a Power 5 program for the American Athletic Conference. Normally it happens the other way around, but he would be leaving to go into the American that I cover so much. They let Major Applewhite go, who took over for Tom Herman a couple years ago. When Tom jumped ship to Texas, Major Applewhite took over. He was the offensive coordinator, became the head coach, and Houston was just undeniably embarrassed by Army 70-14 to in their bowl game, and following that 56-point loss, Major Applewhite is no more with Houston, and now Dana Holgerson, the head coach of West Virginia, looks like he's going to become the head coach of Houston. Thoughts on that, Papa Joe? Well, uh, I'm really disappointed in the Major uh, Applewhite situation. He is supposed to be a another one of these young uh, offensive gurus, and obviously he didn't guru enough because he's got his butt whipped. Uh, but Holgerson is a class act, and you know, there's probably uh, a lot of uh, good that can be said about him coming to Houston, mainly because it's a hotbed for recruiting. I think he's he doesn't have to bang heads with uh, uh, with the East Coast over here in the South. Instead, he's going to be banging heads with Texas A and M and Texas Tech for the for the uh, student athlete over there. So, I think that probably uh, was very pre probably very important in his his decision. My recruiting base is now going to be a lot bigger than it was at West Virginia. So that's probably the, the main reason that I see. Yeah, and Dana Holgerson, uh, pardon me here, I, I thought it was uh, all but officially done. It is officially done. He did make the announcement with Houston Cougars. Uh, he did officially make that announcement. So he is doing his thing, and, and he is officially in Houston. But, I mean, that's it, it, it's hard, you know, and, and, tip, and it's kind of, you know, two slaps in the face. The team loses their game, and, you know, and then their, their head coach leaves. If you're West Virginia, what are you thinking after losing a game and, you know, just a couple days? I mean, you lose the game on December 28th, you ring in the new year, and the next day your coach is gone. I mean, what what would you think of that situation? Put yourself in that situation to be there a few days before New Year's, watch the ball drop, and then see your coach leave for a different school. Wow, that's a good one. Um, you know, there may be some talk that he was going to leave anyway, whether it would be uh, Houston or, or so what. But, you know, he's, he's done everything he could at West Virginia. Uh, I don't think that had anything to do with the, with the loss that they, that they, they took. Uh, just the Greer situation is more, uh, more factual than, than him leaving. But he's... Um, he, he probably had some feelers out there and uh, perhaps maybe he took the, the very best job that he 
that he could. He's a class act. He's a good coach. He's graduates his kids. He's very, he's funny to watch on the on the sideline. I like to I like to watch him a lot. Uh, I think he's going to be very successful at Houston. Speaking here of Papa Joe, inside of Papa Joe's picks, college football talk in the NFL every single Thursday in the first hour of the show. Syracuse going back to their game. Abdul Adams was able to play in this game after transferring from the state of Oklahoma. Also able to play uh, coming from Michigan State was Tristan, Tristan Jackson. Uh, both Tristan Jackson and Abdul Adams were had to sit out this season. And I didn't know this. They didn't know this, but... You know, up until the time that it was made available. But when you're in a bowl game, technically you're out of that season that you had to sit out. So the NCAA allowed Abdul Adams and Tristan Jackson to play. And Abdul Adams ended up scoring two touchdowns, uh, both in the first half of the game. Thoughts on that, Papa Joe, that, you know, that there's this opportunity. There's been some rule changes and different things that have happened inside of college football and some rules that don't come up until they come up. What do you think about the fact that Syracuse got to see, you know, a little bit of of their of their transfers that had come in that they got to put them out there on the field? And Abdu Adams and Tristan Jackson had immediate positive effects on the team. Tristan Jackson caught a touchdown in the game. Abdu Adams ran for two. These guys have not played in almost a year of football yet. The game that they were allowed to play in, they accounted for three touchdowns. Just your thoughts on that? Well, I didn't realize that either. Um... That, that's a, that's a heck of a rule that uh, that they're taking advantage of. Uh, you know, the whole transfer thing is is probably going to get a lot worse than before it gets better. You know, these kids they're just zipping all over the place, uh, and you know they're they're playing by the rules. They they want to play for who they want to play with, and if they uh, if they sit out and and they sit out a year and go somewhere, then that should be their prerogative. And of course, the ones that have already graduated uh, can go anywhere. So. That that's a that's that's surprises me. I had no idea that that was a rule, and and those your babers took advantage of it, and they said, "Look, I got a couple of uh, we call them ringers, you know. I got a couple ringers that are really going to surprise some people, and they certainly did. They both look good on the field. So, uh, good 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 going, coach. You're going to have next year too. And you know, just to make a, a note of it. Not only did they score touchdowns in the game, but Jarvion Howard, who's a true freshman in his first season at Syracuse, Abdul Adams in his first game at Syracuse, and Tristan Jackson in his first game at Syracuse, accounted for the only four offensive touchdowns scored. So not only did they have an impact, but these guys that are coming back next season that have never played at Syracuse before this year accounted for every offensive touchdown. Thoughts on that statistic? Well, that's a wonderful situation for Coach Babers. I'm still wondering about his his current uh, employment situation. I know he's going to stay at Syracuse, uh, and he should, uh, and he should be getting more money, obviously. Uh, if he if he figured this thing out beforehand, then he's pretty smart. So uh, he, has, he has some players that he was going to count on immediately to, to bring great returns. So uh, good for him, and um, I'm happy for the kids and uh, happy for Coach Babers. I hope he's making more money. Do you know that? They don't report anything ever at Syracuse when it comes to money and time, but I reported from what I knew from sources that I trust that he w- he originally had a six-year deal that ran through 2022, and the conversation about how much money he's making never comes up. Syracuse tends to not report it, and then sometimes when their taxes go out, I think two years, you know, you could go back two years and try and look at what what you thought he was making, but they're very hush-hush on how much money he gets paid and if they extended him, did they extend him one year, two years? 
So, I mean, they haven't even officially said that it was 2022 when I reported it. So, outside of me saying 2022, everything's kind of up in the air, which <laughs> it frustrates a lot of people here in Syracuse, but that's the way that the university runs. They don't like to speak about money, nor do they like to speak about the extension of the contract. Well, that's, um, I guess that's their prerogative, but uh, if, if you're going to extend Coach Babers, at least let the public know how many years he's going to get and if it's guaranteed. I mean, if he's if he's extended, say he makes a million dollars a year, and he's extended for a, another couple of years for $2 million, if it's not guaranteed, he's not, he does not getting anything. So uh, I'd like to know how much he's being paid up front, and uh, I'd like to see that be publicized. I don't know if the recruits paying a different uh, paying attention to that, but I think the alumni should. Yeah, you know, it would be nice to to know what the heck is going on up on the hill, but they don't typically like to report on that. Even even Jim Beheim, they not reporting too much on that. So you know, it, it's tough, but hopefully. You know, they have locked him up for the long haul because when Syracuse fans see extension, they think, okay, we're safe. The problem is, outside of me saying 2022, the fans don't know what what the extension truly is. I mean, I'm going to trust my sources, but at the end of the day, you know, people, you know, are still waiting, like, is the is it the official official type of thing? And, and we don't know. The 16 blowouts that happened in the bowl season, Papa Joe, Utah State had a blowout over North Texas. Tulane blew out Louisiana at camp, at the Camping World Bowl at the Auto Nation Cure Bowl that happened before Syracuse went there for the Camping World Bowl. Three bowl games at the Old Citrus Bowl this year. So Tulane gets a blowout. Utah State gets a blowout despite losing their entire staff to Texas Tech. Appalachian State gets a blowout over Middle Tennessee. UAB blows out Northern Illinois. Ohio State shuts out San Diego State. Uh, Marshall takes down South Florida by almost 20 points. BYU spanks Western Michigan by 31 points in the game. Army, like I said before, defeats Houston by 56 points. Louisiana Tech handles Hawaii 31-14. Minnesota takes care of Georgia Tech, who will have a new coach next season, and Jeff Collins, who I know from Temple. They won 34-10. Temple Duke dismantles Temple, who lost their head coach, 56-27. Wisconsin takes care of Miami 35-3. And then from there, uh, another blowout to note, Auburn takes down Purdue 63-14. It was 42-7 in the first half. And then Clemson spanks Notre Dame in a game that was in the college football playoff 30-3. Florida takes down Michigan 41-15. And Virginia shuts out South Carolina 28-0. Texas A&M 52-13 over NC State. Blowout upon blowout upon blowout, Papa Joe. 16 blowouts. The argument that there's actually 18 blowouts in this college bowl season. Thoughts on the fact that there's almost 20 blowout games, one of them being in the college football playoff? Well, I think it has to do with uh, the toughness of the schedules. Uh, They've watered down the bowls. They've watered down the team so much to fill these ridiculous named bowls. That is, it just doesn't. Not even, me myself, I didn't watch any of those other the the early the early bowls that you that you mentioned the blowouts. Uh, they had no interest, and probably most of the country doesn't have any interest either. They just water things down. It's not fun. Now, the good teams that played that got whooped up on. That's that's good. Now you can talk about Notre Dame and Clemson all you want, and uh, I think we will. But Notre Dame obviously uh, wasn't ready to play this kind of football team uh, that they had read so much about. So. 
Now, is it a talent level? I don't know. I don't know. You know, you, you're dealing with these other bulls. You're dealing with 6-6 six, six teams, 7-5 teams. It's not fun. It's good for the kids, good for the school, but it's not fun to watch. So uh, perhaps maybe there should be a lot less bulls and, and uh, better teams playing at the bulls. Notre Dame's offense, 160 receiving yards to 327 allowed to Clemson, 88 yards rushing to 211 allowed to Clemson. Trevor Lawrence, who not only didn't play well against against Syracuse, but got knocked out of the game from a hard hit from Syracuse, he throws three touchdowns and no interceptions against Notre Dame. Uh, Syracuse's most confusing game of the season was there when Dungey went down their blowout loss to Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium. Outside of that, they played their other two losses close, and they won 10 games out of 13 on the season. Because if you look at this, you'd say, well, Notre Dame, the way that they looked against Clemson, Syracuse should have handled them without too much of an issue. And Syracuse handled Clemson for the most part in Death Valley and didn't let Trevor Lawrence look anything like he did, like Notre Dame let him look. And, uh, you know, the rushing, obviously, Travis Etienne and Chase Bryce and Adam Choice. I mean, there's some Tavian Feaster. There's some good guys out there on this team. And and Chase obviously got a couple carries in the game. But, you know, the the reality of it all is, is that this game confuses me because Syracuse played so poorly against Notre Dame, who played so poorly against Clemson, who Syracuse played really well against. So the conundrum of that. But, I mean, Notre Dame didn't even look like they were in the same – division, you know, of football as, as Clemson. Clemson has just a couple of years ago shut out Ohio State in the college football playoff semis, and now they defeat Notre Dame by 27 points. What does it say about Clemson? What does it say about Notre Dame? Well, Clemson's been here before. This is the fourth year in a row that they're going to try to do this. And they've already they've won one national championship. Uh, no, we talked about this probably for weeks before the playoffs. Notre Dame, to me, should not have been granted a spot in the Final Four because they don't belong to a league. They don't belong. They don't. They don't do anything. I mean, they, they'll play other ten or eleven games, twelve games. They play three or four tough ones, and the rest are cupcakes. Uh, so Notre Dame looked awful. Uh, matter of fact, I couldn't watch it after the first half. I mean, it, they Kelly looked like his team was lost. He wasn't coaching well. Of course, when you're getting your butt whipped up front by Clemson's uh, four guys, well, three guys, because one guy got suspended. But, the, you know, when you watch games like this, the good games, you can see after the first five minutes what happens at the line of scrimmage. If if the line of scrimmage is going to will the other line, it's going to be a long day for the time for the team that's getting built. And that's what happened. Clemson just overwilled them. I mean, they just, besides having a lot of talent, they were faster. It broke on the ball quicker. They just, you know, Notre Dame couldn't do anything. Uh, I think if Notre Dame has a good season next year and maybe even perhaps is, is undefeated, I don't think you're going to see him in the Final Four again. Speaking here with Papa Joe inside uh, Papa Joe's Picks, talking college football in the NFL. In Notre Dame, to go through their schedule, they played a Michigan team who's, who was tough, and they defeated them 24-17 to in the first week of the season. Then they faced Ball State and barely beat them. Then they faced Vanderbilt and barely beat them. Then they took down Wake Forest, whose defense wasn't even lining up in the same scheme 
and they weren't even facing the same direction. That game saw the defensive coordinator get fired of Wake Forest. Then they faced a Stanford team that was in the top seven in the country rank-wise that didn't finish there and didn't impress me and didn't impress in general as the season went on. Then they defeated Virginia Tech, who had a subpar season. Then they defeated Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh screwed up the end of the game. Then they defeated Navy, who was atrocious this year. Then they defeated Northwestern, who had a pretty good season. Then they blew out Florida State, who's awful this year. They blew out Syracuse in a very uncharacteristic game, and then they had to come back and beat USC. What did they do this year that was impressive? Besides defeating Michigan and arguably Syracuse, they did nothing. So why do we talk about Notre Dame with this utmost respect where UCF gets no respect for losing by eight. Now, mind you, UCF loses to LSU by eight points, 40-32, to 32, and everybody goes, see, see, they suck. See, see how bad they are? See how bad they are? They suck. They lost by one possession. Notre Dame gets blown out, and Brian Kelly's still the coach of the year. How did that happen? Uh, that's a good question right there, but, you know, we've talked about this before also, that uh, you're talking about monies and you're talking about alumni. Uh, Notre Dame's alumni is, is far-reaching all the way across the world. So uh, in order to placate uh, the, the people that uh, pour the money into the programs, you know, they got to make it look good. Uh, they, we agreed that Notre Dame did not deserve to be thought of in, the, in the Final Four. Frankly, I would like to see neither Ohio State uh, or Georgia in that, in that situation. Uh, but not UCF. I'm sorry about that, Daniel, but and uh, UCF uh, played a very good game against LSU, but let's get back to uh, to what we were talking about. N- Notre Dame did not have the horses, no pun intended, to uh, <clears throat> to compete with Clemson. Uh, and I don't know if they're going. I don't know what Kelly does. I I, I don't watch Notre Dame, and, and I I don't like Notre Dame. Uh, I, I like it because it's Catholic, down this school, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I I just don't see how he can be a coach of the year. I mean. You you mentioned his uh, his victories that, that spawned across the United States, uh, different teams. There were some good teams there, some teams that have subpar seasons, but uh, I don't think he should have been. Uh, I, I think Babers was more deserving of the coach of the year uh, than Kelly was. Yeah, and I would agree with you with that because Dino Babers was expected to finish second to last in the entire ACC, 13 out of 14. It's where they finished last year. Expected to win maybe five games, maybe four games. You know, not there. There was there was nothing that that you know many people did not believe Syracuse could bring anything to the table. Notre Dame goes 12 and 0 against teams that again, 10 of those games throw them in the garbage. So, you know, they say that about UCF every year. They don't play anybody but one or two teams. Okay, well, Notre Dame did the same thing. But UCF has a conference, and they have a conference championship, and they won it with their backup quarterback. Keep in mind as well, as we switch to UCF, UCF lost 40-32 to on the other side of the country in Arizona against LSU, who's an SEC team without their starting quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, playing their backup quarterback. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that a redshirt freshman was playing in this game. So, you know, I mean, DJ Mack, yeah, he's he's had a couple games under his belt this year, but really, you know, he started the American Athletic Conference, you know, game, the championship game. But outside of that, he's filling in a little bit here and a little bit there. 40-32, to 32, they lose to LSU without their starting quarterback with a guy who barely had anything under his belt as far as game experience. Is that not somewhat of a win for 
UCF, and why aren't people saying, well, UCF didn't have their starting quarterback? If this was LSU, they'd say they didn't have their quarterback, they didn't have their running back, they didn't have this, they didn't care about the game, they were too tired, they were asleep, they ate the wrong food, they didn't get Chick-fil-A on the way to the game. There'd be excuses all over the place, but when it comes to UCF, they lose by one possession with their backup. I would think that that's a pretty damn good showcase, if you ask me. Well, it's true. They did put out a good effort. But, you know, let's get to the statistics. I mean, UCF had a great year. The last two years has been fun to watch, and uh, I applaud them. But, you know, they didn't they didn't gain any yards. I mean, they, they gained half as many yards as uh, they used to. Um, certainly, Mackenzie Milton would have made a huge difference in that game, maybe even won the game for them. But, again, if you looked at the line of scrimmage, you saw LSU take over the game, take over the line of scrimmage. Offensively-wise, UCF could do nothing. They didn't complete enough passes. They didn't run the ball very well. And Burroughs uh, from LSU was tossing the ball all over the place. So, you know, UCF usually wins uh, by outscoring people in a high-scoring game. They weren't going to do it here. Just because the score was close, it doesn't mean the game was close. The game wasn't really that close. You know that. The later Hater Gators, they took care of business here. The Florida Gators taking on Michigan, who had a bunch of people sit who are getting ready for the 2019 NFL Draft. What do you think about this one? Does it feel the same with so many people sitting for Michigan? How do you take this one? You win 41-15 to in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia, which I had the opportunity to be inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, beautiful stadium. What are your thoughts on, on your Gators defeating Michigan that didn't have all their guys out there? Well, this is an overused statement, but they did. They made a statement. Uh, Florida was playing their best football at the end of the year by beating South Carolina, Florida State, and, and Michigan. Uh, they, looked, they looked awesome. As a matter of fact, Coach Mullen came up with a quote uh, saying that not too many teams would line up to play his team next, and that's true. Um, they're, they were just ready to play, and besides, they had better athletes. Now, if you're Michigan, you probably got 125 guys on your team. I mean, you can't come up with three or four backup players that can play better, as good as the ones that are not playing. That's a that's that's a poor excuse. Uh, Florida's players, there's five players that are going early in the pro, but those kids decided to play in a game. Every one, all five, and all five are going to be drafted probably in the first couple of rounds. So, uh, Coach Mullen is a is a wonderful is a wonderful coach. He's a wonderful guy. And he just has a he has a way of, of, of speaking to kids. He has a way of coaching kids and coaching young men. Uh, it's a lot different than than Harbaugh does up there. I, I don't know what they do up there. Uh, they I know that the last couple of years Michigan has put a hurt on Florida, but this is a, a whole new this is a whole new regime coming at Florida now. Now they had the same kids that that got beat last year uh, at Michigan or the year before. And uh, this year they come on strong. So uh, I, I congrats to Florida. Of course, I'm happy they're going to be a top ten team, maybe even a top six or seven team. Along with Syracuse, is going to be in a top ten. So the bowls. Uh, if you if you're a coach and you can't get your kids up to play for a bowl, then you're not you're not you're not coaching very well. So uh, Michigan was out coached and outplayed. Period. Period. That's an ex- explanation point. I'm glad. I'm happy for the Gators. Uh, their recruiting is going to pick up because of it, even though they don't need that. But they will, and they got a young team. They're a very young team. They got a lot. Of, they played a lot of freshmen. They played a couple of freshmen in the defensive backfield. So there's a. They got a. 
they got a, a good a good vision ahead. And of course, they play in a tough conference. They play in a tough division of that conference. And uh, that that's you know that that's the way I feel about football. And the, the, the Southern football is so much better than everywhere else. So you know, people can debate it all they want, but you know, the, the SEC West is. It's got Alabama and LSU, Texas A&M now with your boy Jimbo Fisher, Auburn, Mississippi State, you know, and then the East has got uh, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, boot, kicked a few butts this year. So, you know, it's good football, and Florida played well. I'm happy for them. And keeping with that, speaking here of Papa Joe inside of Papa Joe's Picks, college football and NFL talk. Before we switch to the NFL in a moment here, you brought up Texas A&M. They're in the SEC West division, which is Alabama's division. They're the, they finished second to Alabama above LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss, and Arkansas in Jimbo Fisher's first season. They went 9-4, and four, and they win their bowl game and were able to take care of, of business there. Your thoughts on this, Papa Joe, that they took care of NC State and Dave Doran of NC State and Jimbo Fisher know each other all too well because they have obviously faced off in the Atlantic Division of the ACC. So Dave Doran of NC State knows Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher's got different athletes at Texas A&M. He's got a different team. He still took care of business, 152-13, to and finishes second behind Alabama on a 9-4 and season. What do you think about Jimbo Fisher's first season with the Aggies? Well, he's a master recruiter. Uh, master recruiter, and he's uh, plays plays a lot of psychological games with his kids. He knows what to say, how to say him. He's a good offensive coach. This doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised that he lost four games. That that surprised me. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot about Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, they're going to be a formidable opponent uh, in the West uh, against Alabama and LSU and so on. So congrats to Coach Fisher. Coach Doran's got a little work to do. And right before that game happened. LSU and Texas A&M played a basketball game, 74-72, to seven overtimes Texas A&M outlasts LSU at home. What do you think about this one? Jimbo Fisher is not one to give up. I, I-, I tell you, I tell you. I mean, he just he's one of those guys that gets after it. 74-72, to my eyes, I was like, do my eyes, you know, doth lie to me. I mean, I'm looking at this thing saying, no, they put a basketball score in here. Somebody put a glitch on this. 74-72, to seven overtimes, 43 points scored by Texas A&M in overtime. LSU's 41, 84 points scored in overtime combined. Thoughts on this, Papa Jay? Boy, that's that's a lot of offense, but that's his, uh, that's his mantra. He loves offense. And, you know, LSU, uh, Coach O does a great job down there. Uh, he's another master recruiter, master – psychologist uh but his his quarterback finally grew into uh what he was supposed to be joe burrows he he hasn't been doing well in his early years he's he's older he's a senior now i'm sure and uh an and older uh experienced quarterback uh but you know you give jimbo fisher enough time and he's going to win most of his games uh they had a heck of a game to watch you're right it was almost a basketball score but uh, we'll see what happens next year with these two teams. I'm sure they're going to be knocking heads for forever. You know, when you think about uh, when you're when you're trying to pull these teams apart and who's supposed to play where and, and which teams are eligible for the final four, you really got to take into consideration some of these teams that play each other in the best conferences. If you have one or two losses in in a really good conference like the SEC, that doesn't mean that you've lost two games throughout the nation. 
you've lost two games or one or two games in your own conference, which happens to be the toughest to play in. So, you know, and that's why I bring up Georgia. Georgia, Georgia was flat against Texas, but you know, they should have been, they should have been awarded something uh, in the, in the, the final four. And how about this? The LSU Texas A&M game was 146 points scored combined in seven overtimes. Syracuse and Pitt go, huh, in regulation, we scored 137 against each other. 76 to 61, it was the highest scoring collegiate football game for D1 ever, which was now obviously beaten by Texas A&M, but I think Syracuse and Pitt should still own the record because they did it in regulation, where it took seven overtimes for Texas A&M and LSU to do it against each other. Before we hop out of this segment with Papa Jay, Doug Marone is staying with the Jaguars. He's retained. Now, Shad Khan sent an email out to all of us media members that cover the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'm proud to be one of those people. And he had sent out this message, and it's it normally when you keep your head coach or, or let your head coach go, you spend the time in your email talking about the head coach. In this one, very different. He talks about Tom Coughlin. Quote, I informed Tom Coughlin this week that I want him to see through our shared goal of bringing a Super Bowl title to Jacksonville. That sounds like he's hiring Tom Coughlin. Uh, Giving our overall body of work over the past two seasons, I offered to Tom that I preferred entering the 2019 season with as much stability as reasonable or possible at the top of our football operation. However, those decisions are, are at all times are Tom's decisions. And I would respect any call he made on our general manager and head coach. So Shad Khan, in these first couple words here of the email that he sent out to us was, I trust Tom. It's in Tom's hands. Tom can do whatever he wants. This is Tom's ship. That sounds like somebody who's, you know, 150% eggs in the basket for Tom Coughlin. And yet after that, he says, you know, general manager Dave Caldwell is going to stay and head coach Doug Marone is going to stay. But that it was Tom's decision. Shad saying, I wanted to know what Tom thought. Tom and I agreed to. This is Tom's at all times Tom's decision. What do you think about that? Tom's not the head coach, allegedly, but the keys are firmly in his hands. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's the way. That's why he hired him. I think he's going to give these guys three years, quite frankly. And uh, I, I don't know if you got the news flash up there, uh, but it was very next day uh, after Jacksonville lost their last game uh, that Khan had said that Marone's going to be returning uh, as the coach. Boy, that surprised me. It really surprised me. Um, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I just have a beep coming in, but don't don't worry about it. Um, this is Coughlin's. It was always Coughlin's team. Uh, I don't know if he, he, he pulls the X's and O's down there, but he uh, it's always been his team. And him and Caldwell and Marone have got to get together. I, I, I I'm surprised by this. Frankly, I thought Con was going to jettison all three guys and say after two years, uh, I don't think they can write the ship. And this happens after the four years of unfortunate gusts. So. The Jaguars, uh, I'm surprised by this, Daniel. I really am surprised. I, I thought for sure that, that, that there was going to be some major changes. So what does Marone do? He, he fires four or five of his coaches, mostly on the, on the offensive side. So well, defensive side, I don't know which ones are let go. There were so many of them. So it, it, it's perplexing. Uh, I hope they have a better plan. Um, if, if I was them, I'd be looking to dump uh, a couple players too. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, you know, and, and, and as we look at this thing, you know, across the country, uh, Todd Bowles was fired by the Jets, Adam Gase by the Dolphins, Vance Joseph by the Broncos, Dirk Cotter by the Bucks, Marvin Lewis by the Bengals for the second time in a row, but they let him come back last time. Uh, Mike McCarthy of the Packers is fired in season. Steve Wilkes by the Cardinals. Hugh Jackson in season by the Browns. The Atlanta Falcons fired their offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, and the Detroit Lions announced that they did not renew fourth-year offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter, who was retained after Matt Patricia had taken over. So, and I would un- understand that move as well. So, what are your thoughts on, 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 on the coaching vacancies now, Papa Joe? The Jets, the Dolphins, Broncos, Bucks, Bengals, Packers, Cardinals, and Browns are all looking for a head coach. What are your thoughts? Well, I think in a, in a few instances, the coaches weren't given enough time. Uh, I feel for uh, Coach Wilkes and Coach Joseph of, uh, of, of Phoenix and uh, Denver. Uh, they, just, they just weren't given enough time. But, you know, the owners get anxious, and someone's got to lose games, someone's got to win the games. I mean, the, the good teams and the good coaches are going to win more games. And then you've got the rest of the guys that are picking up the crumbs for the rest of the, the, rest of the teams. Uh, it doesn't seem fair, but... I thought Marvin Lewis should have been fired five years ago. I've never been a Marvin Lewis fan, and hopefully they'll get someone over there that uh, they can work with Andy Dalton and get some points on the board. Um, when you go, take, take for instance, you got John Elway at Denver. Now, Elway hasn't done anything at Denver except talk Peyton Manning out of retirement to come and win him a Super Bowl. Other than that, he's not done anything. So he hires a... a, a not a no-name, but a person with, with less experience than Joseph. And after two years, it's nothing. So shouldn't El- Elway take part of this blame? I, al- I always look at the GMs in cases like this, too, including my team in uh, Milwaukee, uh, in the Green Bay. Now, the general managers have just as much to lose as the coaches. And the gen- GMs and the, the director of player personnel, whatever you call these guys now, they put the teams together and hope that the coach can meld them. Well, if the coach doesn't have the right players, then who's to blame for that? So I think it's the GMs that are just at, just as fault uh, as the as the coaches, and even in Miami when they they reassign, shall we say, the, the general manager down there, Tenenbaum, and then they got rid of Gates. So you know what what did they prove down there? Now you got to have a whole new guy come in. It's, it's a mess. Todd Bowles up at the Jets. That that was a disaster from the get go. At least they had the nerve to to draft a quarterback that's going to take them somewhere. Now they need to find an offensive-minded coach that's going to help this kid, Sam Darnold. So there's a whole bunch of things that are, are shaken, and I don't know where it's going to stand. Uh, I know my my brother-in-law's up in Milwaukee say that they're, they're sort of anxious for Josh McDaniel to come over there and take over the team. Uh, I know he was interviewed. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, I don't know if he would ever leave the old curmudgeon because that's supposed to be his team, but you know, there's there's a there's a lot of ifs, uh, and and I'm I'd like to see some of these coaches that were terminated at least find jobs, maybe even a head coaching job with some of these openings with other teams. I think Vance Joseph should find a job somewhere. I think Wilkes probably needs to uh, maybe uh, get some more experience. Todd Bowles would be a good defensive coordinator somewhere. Adam Gase did miracles in Miami with with uh, his his quarterback. Uh, he should be given a shot somewhere or even one as an offensive coordinator. A lot of jobs open and a lot that's going to be happening. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing is that we have to see where things shake out. I'm surprised by the Jaguars keeping 
Doug Marone, I know that you said you are too, and then there's these other situations where Marvin Lewis was let go last year, and it was the strangest thing in the world. I said, if we're in the Bengals' room, was this essentially the conversation? Hey, we got to fire Marvin Lewis. And then two weeks later, and then they reconvene the next day, and they go, hey, who's available out there? And one of the guys goes, hey, I heard Marvin Lewis was just let go. And then they go, you know what, we should call him. I mean, it was it was the weirdest, strangest thing that I have seen in in coaching in in the pros, maybe in forever that I've been alive. So you know, it's it, it's just a very strange situation in Cincinnati. But you know, a lot of these jobs have opened up. I would never think that Mike McCarthy would be fired, but they had a terrible season. Uh, Wilkes was let go really quickly, but the Cardinals, they, they I mean, for goodness sakes, David Johnson's a top three running back. He wasn't even relevant this year. Hugh Jackson, he leaves, and I don't know why he didn't get let go sooner. Uh, Dirk Cotter with the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks haven't found a good head coach in a long time. Vance Joseph, I can understand with the Broncos because they won games they shouldn't and they lost games they should have won. Gase with the Dolphins. I, I think every every Dolphin coach is going to get fired until they can get rid of Ryan Tannehill, find somebody they can lean on, and, and the player personnel get the players get better. And then Todd Bowles with the Jets. I agree. It was it was kind of not looking pretty from day zero. So this is where we stand right now. This is what's going on here and. You know, Doug Marone is still the head coach of the Jaguars, so go ahead and confuse me, Jacksonville, once again. With that being said, Papa Jay, you know, any final thoughts before we finish up today? Well, uh, I'd like to talk about the, the Clemson-Alabama game uh, <clears throat> at Monday night. I do think that the uh, – I think we have – this to me is a pick game. They got – I think they got the game uh, – I think Alabama up by five and a half points or some, something like that. I think it's going to be a, a low-scoring game. I think domin- uh, defense is going to dominate. Uh, but I am—I'm a big Alabama guy, you know. I, uh, the SEC and all that kind of stuff. I'm always whooping up about. So, but I do—I do think that Dable Sweeney is—I think he's got finally got uh, Nick Saban's number. I think that if Nick watches that Notre Dame game, he's going to cringe. He's probably watched it five times already. I think Clemson—I think Clemson's take this game and probably going to wind up being a preeminent football team in the country, overtaking Alabama. I know it's, it's a lot to say. Uh, Clemson's got to stop an incredibly multifaceted Alabama offensive team, and Alabama's defense is just as good uh, uh, as, as Clemson's, more or less. You know, uh, Oklahoma really wasn't in the game, uh, even though they, they, everyone makes it sound like it was. It was 28 to nothing before you know it. Just That's the way Alabama plays. They score fast and in bunches, so it's going to be a good game. But I, I like Alab- I like Clemson and a squeaker this one. Yeah, you know what? This is uh, this is a good game. I, I thought that Clemson was in a position where you know they they had looked vulnerable against Syracuse, and they responded by just wreaking havoc on everybody after that, blowing everybody out. I mean, they they had a blowout in the ACC championship. They had a blowout in the college football playoff semifinal. I mean, even the games that are supposed to be good are not even good. So, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna lean on Dabo Sweeney this year, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give him another championship. I got to talk with him about his faith in God and and the importance of God in his life. After he had won that championship, I I had waited and waited to ask him. He gave me one of the the greatest comments, one of the greatest interviews I've ever gotten in my life. So, you know, Dabo, I know you're faithful. I know you're a good coach, and I know that you got good recruits. I know that you bust your butt, and I know that ever since Syracuse made you know showed that the king could bleed, 
that you've been, you know, wreaking havoc on everybody. So I think they're going to take care of Alabama this time around, and I think we're going to start the conversation of, you know, Nick Saban's really, really good, but where's Dabo Sweeney in the grand scheme of things? And that's where we're going to be. So Papa Joe and I are both picking Clemson. The game is Monday night. We hope you'll be watching at 8 p.m. Eastern time this Monday, January 7th. We're picking Clemson. Let us know who you're picking. I'll put the poll up today on Twitter. You can vote at CallDT, and I'll put it up on Facebook as well at WakeUpCallDT. Papa Jay, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and always a pleasure to be here on the broadcast with you, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Okay, thank you, Daniel. Have a good day. All right, take care.